Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Joining us now, Al Castell from Alpha Technologies right here in Winnipeg. Al, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hal. Nice to chat with you, buddy. Um, yeah, so yeah, this morning, uh, good. Yes, yep, still doing the uh, the show here from home, and, and I know you guys are doing as best you can. The IT world is, is sort of interesting. I guess a lot of that stuff, though, you can do remotely, can't you? Most of it we have been, and there are circumstances where you you know you have to to be on site. But we we try everything to do every precaution if we have to go there on site. But yeah, for the most part, everything's done remote. Sure. Hey, um, I was uh, mentioning in the uh, news meeting this morning, and the shows before me today have been talking a bit about biking and cycling. I drove by uh, Woodcock uh, Cycle on uh, St. Mary's Road a couple times on the weekend. Lineup huge, obviously, uh, people, and apparently you, you can't find a bike in a store, and if you do, you're paying more for it. And Richard Cloutier, a big mm-hmm. cyclist on the news meeting this morning, mentioned something I'd never heard of before, e-bike. What is an e-bike? E-bike is just a battery that either is built with the purposes of having a a battery system on it that propels it or assists you or is one that you've already got a bike and you, you know, aftermarket attach uh, a battery system and a brushless motor and controls and turn your existing bike into one that gives you a little bit of a hand when you get a little tired. Well, and the timing of our conversation is good. You told me a while ago about some of the new technology that's coming out to get people around. And, you know, I think, uh, uh, listen, some people have lost their jobs during the pandemic. Some people are working from home. Maybe they don't need the vehicle. They can't afford the vehicle. They're looking at other more inexpensive ways to get around. Mm -hmm. E-bike might be one of them. Certainly we're seeing more people getting bikes with the weather getting nicer and, and the pandemic continuing to some degree here in the province of Manitoba. What are some other uh, ways to get around uh, using new technology? Well, this is what we've been talking about, Hal. And the, the thing with the e-bikes is that they come with a premium price. So right now, as in all things, when they start to become you know, their newer technology, they're going to be on the higher end. So you were talking the thousands of dollars, and we're talking with, a, with the S at the end, to get into the e-bike range. Whereas now we we tested and Alpha has been looking at a couple of different, uh, I guess, items from Segway, for example, the company that we remember that had the stand-up unit, and they still do. Right. So, you know, police were using it and people were using it on golf courses. So they also have consumer product that we've looked at. And so I picked up a few weeks back three items, two electric scooters and one of their smaller stand-up Segways, not with the handle up top, but one that you steer with your knees. Well, my wife and I have two, not this last Sunday, but the one before the real nice one. We put 16 kilometers on in a couple of hours, cruising through Assiniboine Park, going around on Wellington that was closed, and had an absolutely fantastic time and answered a ton of questions because at under $1,000, this is now something with a 40-kilometer range that a university student could live downtown and go to school or could, you know, live in an area the city was a little more affordable and still have an, a way and a mode of transportation that allows them to, to get around. So that's some of the items that we're looking at. And do you sit on this thing or stand on it, the one no, from Segway? No, scooter, you know, the old scooter, oh, that scooter. You, you had when you were a kid. You push, yeah, the Segway one you stand on. So the, the smaller, so the Segway one's about $1,100. The one that we're looking at, you stand on it. It's got about a 24-kilometer range, a 20-kilometer-an-hour speed, a limit, so it only will go so fast. 
and you stand on it and it balances and you lean a little forward and off you go and you lean a little back and it puts the brakes on. So once somebody tries it, they get the biggest smile on their face because it is a very novel way to move around. This is not the hoverboards, which are toys. This is a real piece of equipment with air in the tires that has the ability to, to travel or, you know, make it a lot easier for you to get around. You know, you were talking about young people, university students, for example, might be interested in some of this newer transport Mm -hmm. technology. But what about seniors? We've got a lot of seniors that listen to us here on CJOB, right? I mean, you're talking price points that would be better than the stuff they've had access to in the past. Absolutely. It was so amazing. When we were in the park, the people that were stopping my wife and I and actually asking me for business cards, which wasn't the goal. The goal was to see how applicable is this would we enjoy it and we totally did the people that were asking us how were seniors saying wow and they'd ask the price and they would ask very detailed questions i even had a guy that as soon as he saw us going on these he's like you know i'm a retired teacher i'm looking for somewhere to invest so it was funny how much attention that we did get on these and the majority was from seniors the younger people looked and you could tell they wanted but the seniors actually were asking the questions Interesting. And, you know, as we talk more and more about active transportation and active transport routes in the city, I know many drivers sometimes get frustrated with all the investment in bike paths and that sort of stuff. But maybe this is a way that uh, people that still like to have the ability uh, to not have to pedal and and have a motor of some kind move them along, be able to Mm -hmm. use some of these active transport routes. Oh, it's, it was amazing because you're connected to the application on the phone. So as far as what would you need, you'd need to be able to balance. We're not talking about pushing a skateboard. You'd need to be able to push something down with a foot on it and then stand up on it and be able to balance. And then you've got a little right near your right thumb, there's a trigger, and on the left thumb is a brake. So you have the electric triggers and the electric brakes. It tracks your speed. It tells you how much range you still have left. They're not... Uh, an old, you know, these are modern technology, but modern plastics, modern materials, very, very well made. So something that is very trustworthy when it comes to maybe getting bit with a bit of water or, or getting splashed on and yet portable enough to fold up, put in the back of your vehicle, maybe when you're going to Birds Hill and you want to go and, and you don't feel like biking around. Yeah. And you use the, and you use an app on your phone to control the speed and braking and all that stuff. Well, you can do it from your app, which now tracks how far you've gone. It actually is really interesting how when you first register it, until you go a certain distance, it limits the speed to 10 kilometers an hour. So until it knows that you've gotten a little comfortable, it won't let you get into the more advanced mode. So you have three modes. You have a, a up to 10, an up to 20, and then an up to 30 mode on the scooters. So you decide either from the, the – it's got a little display on the actual handle right in front of you where, near you, where you grab – or you can actually use your phone to set your modes and to track things as well. It's up to you. Okay, good question from a listener here by text, 204-780-6868. What about traffic laws? Would it be like a scooter then, or, or I'm sure you've done the research on this. You know, you, we used the bike lanes, my wife and I, and we had absolutely no issues because, I, you know, there's not a lot of registered two-wheel pedaled bicycles here. Mm-hmm. So to my knowledge, there is not a requirement due to the speed back on it and there's been electric scooters and devices of this nature already i have actually made an inquiry to one of our city councillors who i I won't name at this time but in order to inquire further because before my company brings these in we obviously want to make sure that we are adhering to all of the rules and regulations that are here but from what we've seen and on the bike trails and on the bike paths fair game we've had no issues at all they're safe Mm. 
I don't take them on the road. I'm not comfortable taking it onto a road at this time, yeah. though I know in a lot of the American cities, you have to remember, there's a full scooter rental set up down in the States. So they have uh, scooter businesses that in major cities, you actually rent these for so many minutes and it tracks you an app and you take them from one point to another. So there's already a lot of traveling of this nature going on in the States. Right. And if these things become popular, then cities like Winnipeg and other cities are going to have to deal with them somehow. Hey, when you find out what the city tells you or what the councillor tells you, let me know. And Al, uh, send me a couple of pictures, too, and I'll put them up on my social media feed. I want to see what they look like and share with people. You got it. I will do. I've got a couple of pictures I actually took with the videos that we have mounted on them. So I will send you some for sure. Cool. Excellent. Good timing on this, Al. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Al. Again, always well. Al Costell at Alpha Technologies e-bikes. Didn't even know that was a thing. I mean, I guess I I understood that there were ways to power your uh, pedal bike uh, using a motor of some kind, but didn't know of the term e-bike until today. But there's other cool transportation technology out there. And uh, check my social media feeds later on. I'll get those pictures up. Hal Anderson on Twitter, Hal Anderson and Hal Anderson Productions on Facebook. And on Instagram, it's Hal Anderson 34 Joining us on the phone, Kathleen Buttle. She's an anthropology professor at the University of Manitoba. Professor, good afternoon. Hi. Nice to Hi, be thank, here. Thank you, thank you. Thank you very much for doing this. Really appreciate it. Um, so we had a bit of a, a crime, mini crime wave on the weekend. Twenty-two calls in twenty-four hours, including uh, fourteen of those calls uh, for reports of gunfire. And we've been talking to Winnipeg police about it this morning on the start. They talked to Constable Rob Carver. I may play some of that uh, coming back here in uh, of uh, Carver in a bit. And I talked to Constable Jay Murray on my show. Uh, a little over an hour ago, and uh, they say, listen, the weather's getting nicer. We tend to see bumps in crime like this as the weather gets nicer. And uh, But Jay Murray and I think Rob Carver would say that, hey, the pandemic and people being on edge because of it may have uh, been playing a role here. What do you think? What, what can you tell us about humans and how we're dealing with this pandemic, and uh, could it be an impact in, in crime here? Uh, I definitely think it it would be. Um, I think, however, though, when we're talking about violence, um, this is a continuing problem. And while it's true that we have these sort of bumps and inactivity and then maybe, you know, it sort of waxes and wanes, it's not something that is, is going away. And I think we've been led into this assumption that it's just something we have to live with. And I think after all of, of, of what's occurred in terms of, of the COVID um, prevention methods, uh, the intervention methods, uh, and, and the enormous success that those efforts have had in Winnipeg, I think we can possibly apply some of those same principles to the idea of violence. If we can begin to wrap our minds around this idea that, you know, violence is very similar to disease in many ways. It's, it's something that can be curbed and it, it can, we can reverse the spread of violence in the same way that we have reversed the spread of, of the COVID virus. So, you know, I've heard, I've heard said that, um, 
people have sudden access to these CERB funds, the CERB funds and, and other funds, and and that all of this in combination with warm weather and so forth has has pushed people sort of to the brink and and people are acting out. But, but I, honestly, I think, and I think many of my colleagues in, in the academic community, and, and I know many of the Indigenous and newcomer community-based organizations I work with um, would would caution us not to um, accept those simple rationales for what is occurring because violence is, is extremely complex and it has more to do uh, with uh, uh, factors um, such as um, prior experiences with violence, exposure to violence, um, rates of domestic violence, access to supports, access to basic health care needs, um, having one's basic needs met and so forth. All of these factors um, they're configured in certain ways and they act on individuals in ways that a virus might, which is to say in unpredictable ways. So like, I don't know if I'm, I'm, I'm being clear here, but I, what I'm suggesting is that violence, very much like the, the COVID virus crisis, is like an epidemic disease. So it, we, if we're exposed to violence, we have an increased risk of contracting the disease in the same way that if we're exposed to COVID, we have a, you know an, a, an increased risk of contracting it. And, and when I say disease, what I mean is that people who are exposed to violence are twice as likely to become perpetuators of violence themselves, but they're also twice as likely to become the victims of future violent acts. So this to, to say that violence is something that spreads, it's contagious, and we can stop it. It's just it seems that we, hmm. we have not been employing the proper tools to yeah. stop it in its tracks. We haven't been taking it seriously. We haven't been treating mm-hmm. it like an epidemic disease. And we can learn right. a lot from what's occurring now. Now, give me some examples of how we do that. How do we take what we've learned with COVID-19 and try and deal with the violence pandemic in our society? So, like um, viruses, uh, violence tends to occur in clusters. So there are certain hot spots, for example, uh, in the same way that cholera uh, tended to be found around uh, water sources. Violence tends to occur around the city hotspots, and the police are pretty good about, um, you know, targeting these areas. It, it also, like uh, viruses, um, violence spreads and it's transmitted, so it can be transmitted mm-hmm. from one family member to another, and so on. So, right. what, what we've done with COVID is we've really gone all out when it comes to prevention efforts. So there was a massive public education campaign. Everybody, you know, as much as possible was made aware of uh, what the necessary precautions were. All the efforts really have been in terms of 
prevention. Uh, we had so few cases in Manitoba compared to the rest of the country because we dealt with it at the prevention um, level rather mm-hmm. than intervening later or doing what uh, you know what, what the doctors would do uh, in terms of epidemics is su- suppression and what the police do in terms of, of crime they, they suppress it so we have this this calculus backwards when it comes to crime we have most of our many in suppression so it, we, we're putting band-aids on you know what is a, a, a rapidly spreading virus we need to reverse this and, and place our efforts in prevention. Um, I do, and there are plenty of, of excellent programs which have their evidence base and they've been shown to intervene directly into the hotspots and to stop violence where it is occurring and then to stop the transmission of violence within the family and between um, you know, generations and yeah. between peers yeah. and so on. There are excellent models that have proven effective, and it, it's really a governance decision whereby we've decided we're not putting our, our funds and energy there. We're going to put our mm-hmm. money into suppression. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying we don't need suppression. We absolutely need it, but we need, we need more. We need more, more funding, more effort, and, and more attention to, to the areas of prevention. And when we start building that up, I think we're going to see violence decreasing rapidly. When people's basic needs are met, when their mm-hmm. mental mm-hmm. health needs are that, that that's a huge one. Mental health right. needs are going right. undiagnosed. People are falling through the cracks. You know, we have a provincial government who's invested four and a half million dollars in this um, internet-based counseling company that provides mindfulness training. Well, that's great if you have suffer minor anxiety disorders, but it breathing slowly and contemplating, you know, calm blue oceans is no replacement mm-hmm. for antipsychotic medications, uh, you know, substance abuse uh, therapy and other proven measures. So yeah. we, we, we need to, you know, switch our, our efforts to, to the prevention side mm-hmm. and really to... I, I feel we need to uh, really support those community-based organizations that are out there making connections on the street, gaining the trust of the individuals who are engaging in violence. Um, and that's where the, these relationships are, there, are, are the antidote to violence. So if we could you know, switch our thinking a little bit, think a little more long-term, not in terms of electoral politics, think in terms of 50-year spans, what we want to see in 50 years, place some energy in prevention, we could eliminate, we could eradicate violence if we wanted to. Chuck Davidson joins us now, the president and CEO of the Manitoba Chambers of Commerce. Um, How are you doing, by the way? I'll always wait for you, Hal, you know Uh. You are a pal. I appreciate that. <laughs> hey, um, I wanted to talk to you. I was reading today uh, Zuckerberg at Facebook has said, you know what, half of his forty-five or 50,000 employees may work from home for good. Uh, we heard from the owner of Hermanos today, Hermanos, the latest restaurant to shut down. He talked about, yes, COVID-19 being part of the reason, but also construction. And it got us thinking, you know, what will the future look like? We've got 
lots of offices downtown. How many people will be in those offices? What impact will that have on businesses, not just in downtown Winnipeg, but across the city and around the province? What do you think? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Hal, I think it's going to be slow for a lot of companies in terms of making those determinations. You've got the majority of uh, uh, people working from home right now, I think, that have been in office settings, uh, and they're making some of those changes. So it's it's going to be sort of a gradual uh, reentry to the workforce for office people. Uh, And, you know, I think this is something that because there's no real roadmap in terms of what this looks like. And I'll give a perfect example, even the office that I have, we have a staff of eight. Uh, We're looking at going back into the office next week, but it's probably only going to be four people at a time and probably only for two days a week for each four. And we'll kind of flip and and those that are in the office. So I think more and more we'll start looking at measures like that, that will make sure that they don't need to have everyone in at one time, that they can still work from home. Uh, And I think that makes sense. So this is going to be the new norm for the next probably three months, I would suggest, until we get to sort of that next stage. Uh, but this is going to, there's no question this is going to have an impact. You see it now when you go to downtown Winnipeg, uh, there's significantly less people than there was, uh, you know, three months ago. And I think that's going to be the case for the next little while. And while it is, you know, I think some businesses would look at a situation like that and go, hey, maybe this isn't bad over the long haul if we kind of do things like this. But then what about the businesses like restaurants that rely on the people that maybe aren't coming to those offices? Maybe they're only coming two days a week instead of five. Maybe only half are coming in. The other half are staying at home. So I can see the the glass half full side of this, but I can also see the glass half empty side. Yeah, and I don't disagree with you at all, Hal. I think this is the real challenge that if you're in the service industry or in the restaurant, the hospitality industry, there's no question. These are the industries that are being most impacted because even if you look at the measures that are being taken in place as we start that reopening and restarting the economy, those are the industries that are only at half capacity, that are at 50% of, of what they normally could be. Those are difficult margins for these businesses to be able to continue to operate on. So a lot of them have been creative in terms of I think obviously what you're seeing now is you're seeing a lot more uh, providing opportunities where they've got, uh, you know, you can you can pick stuff up. They've got online presences. So they're they're having to be more creative than they've had to be in the past because it's not the it's not business as usual and it's not going to be for the foreseeable future. So these are the businesses that we're continually telling, you know, the broader community, get out there and support. Uh, you know, it's important to keep them is uh, as, 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 as liquid as possible in terms of being able to provide them with the revenues that they're going to need to be able to to continue to get through this. Uh, so that's going to be important that we do support those local businesses. You know, um, I've said so many times when talking to people like you representing uh, the business community, I have just been blown away um, by the innovation that business in this city in this province has shown through this are, are you not just amazed at uh, how some of the businesses have shifted gears big time uh not just from second to third but you know, or you know from third down to second but from forward to reverse to try and make this situation as palatable as possible yeah, you know, absolutely. You know, I think that's the big challenge. And it's, it's, the, it's the nice thing you do. Some of the challenges that businesses have had to deal with over the past 10 weeks, basically saying, okay, we need you to shut your doors because it's in the best interest of public safety, which we 100% agree with. But we want you to, we're going to take away all your revenues, potentially, you're going to have to lay off all your employees. And then you're going to have to somehow figure out how you're going to restart. And a lot of those businesses have made that pivot, have taken this challenge on and, and are adjusting their business models, are doing everything possible to continue to operate. 
I've got a ton of respect for small business owners that are, have been going through this and recognizing, you know, the challenges that, that they're facing. And even with the reopening, even if you look at the reopening, if you were to tell a business, you can continue to operate, but you have to do so at 50% capacity. And we're going to put all these other measures that you're now going to have to put in place to make sure that you're doing so safely. Businesses have adopted that, have said, absolutely, we're going to be at the forefront of making sure that we're doing everything to flatten this curve. Uh, and, you know, I hear it throughout the province that businesses are taking all the precautionary measures. They're not opening until they feel they can do so in a manner that's going to be safe for their employees and for the general public. Because the one thing that's really key is we really need to work on is how do we build that consumer confidence? And the business community is going to be at the forefront of that by taking all the correct measures to make sure that they're providing a safe environment for their people to come to and for consumers. And I think that's, uh, you know, a huge kudos to the business community, which is why I say to the general public, get out there and support those local businesses that are taking these measures to try to get us back to a, a normal life as quickly as possible. So glad that this uh, next gentleman is able to join us today. We wanted to chat with him on Friday. There was an issue, but we've got him now. Scott McDonald, the chair of the Teddy Bears Picnic, joins us. Hello, Scott. Hey, how you doing today? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you for doing this. Um, I had uh, Colin Ferguson on uh, last week from Travel Manitoba, and we were chatting. Uh, Colin and I go way back uh, when he was doing a lot, as I was, with the Children's Hospital Foundation, and we spent many teddy bears picnics together. And uh, this one's going to be different, Scott. Tell us. Yeah, so you know, with the, the recent events over the past few months, we had to make a, a difficult decision back in March to, to cancel the, the 34th annual Teddy Bears Picnic. Um, so what we decided to do, we, we thought of some alternatives, of uh, maybe uh, different dates pushed further into the year, and nothing really seems to, to click perfectly. So we ended up deciding to, to come up with a virtual Teddy Bear Picnic. So Teddy Bear Picnic gone virtual this year. So we, we got a lot of great events lined up. It's going to be at the, the same date. Uh, May 31st from 9 to 4.15 p.m. And there's a lot of great activities that we have planned for the event, um, you know, for for kids and their families to, to get involved with. There's going to be some great physical activity segments, some at-home craft activities, uh, a photo scavenger hunt, which we're really excited about, and some great entertainment features and some segments with uh, some of the Dr. Goodbear tent experts and medical staff and professionals. So, yeah, all in all, I think it's going to be a very diversified uh, day of events, and we're looking forward to it. So it's coming up on, on Sunday, and listen, there's nothing better than being at the Teddy Bears picnic in person in Assiniboine Park, but as you say, that's not possible this year. But many of the things that happen at every Teddy Bears picnic, over 30 of them now, I think it's the, am I right, is, the, is it the 34th annual? You're correct. Yeah, it's the, it's going to be the 34th annual picnic. Yeah. Um, you know, but obviously with with COVID nineteen concerns, uh, you know, health and sure. safety is is first and foremost. Um, and you know, with having an annual average attendance of about forty thousand uh, patrons, it's it just didn't seem like it was uh, mm. a good idea to 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 push forward with the physical event. But you know, yeah. with with moving to a virtual event. We're excited because uh, it, I think it'll give access to to more people across the province and you know more children and their families to take part, uh, just because they don't have to you know drive down and 
And especially if, if you're outside of, of Winnipeg, um, it, you know, you'll, it'll be better and easier access to, to take part in the events. So. Well, and that's what I was uh, getting at with my question, because many of the events, while it's nice to be at the park, many of the events actually work pretty well virtually, don't they? Give me a couple examples. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's been there's been some great uh, great work, you know, that the foundation has been putting on recently with with some virtual events. I mean, I, you know, I think I think that's just the world we're living in right now for for a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of folks anyway is just. You know, working from home and and ad- adopting good virtual um, practices. You know, if it's for work or just you know connecting with loved ones via you know FaceTime or or Skype or all those other apps. So um, you know, it's definitely been a little bit of a culture shift for for us. As, but I think you know uh, you know we might as well continue the trend and and provide great education and uh, safety tips for for kids. Uh, moving forward here. Hey, Scott, all the best with it. Thank you very much, and uh, have a great Teddy Bears picnic. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having us on, and I hope hope you can take part. You bet. Uh, Goodbear.ca, quickly before I let you go, goodbear.ca is a good website to get more info, right? Yep, that's goodbear.ca. Everything's going to be run off the Facebook page. So, uh, you know, the foundation Facebook page is at CHF Manitoba. Uh, all the uh, events and activities will be streamed from there. There's also a 50-50 draw on goodbear.ca to purchase some tickets uh, to raise money for a great cause. So, Excellent. Yeah, and uh, obviously it's a great day, but it's about raising money for a good cause as well. Scott McDonald joining us, the chair of the Teddy Bears Picnic, 34th annual. It will be virtual this time around because of the pandemic, and it's coming up on Sunday. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.